I don't know if I can do justice to this book, but I will do my best before you, and hopefully it will be a benefit to all of us to consider this book in, our, in the weeks to come as the Lord gives us opportunity. I want to read Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 to 13. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh unto the sun? One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. The sun also ariseth, and the sun goeth down, and hasteth to his place where he arose. The wind goeth forth toward the south, excuse me, the wind goeth toward the south, and turneth about unto the north, it whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth again according to his circuits. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Unto the place from whence the rivers came, thither they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. The thing which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said, See, this is new. It hath been already of old time which was before us. There's no remembrance of former things, neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come with those that shall come after. I, the preacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under the sun. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of men to be exercised therewith. And God read, bless to us the reading of his sacred and holy word uh, this evening. The main dominant philosophy of our society is humanism. Humanism is an atheistic rationalistic approach to life and it basically says that man is capable of finding happiness on his own devising his own code of conduct and morals and so forth. There's no more to life we're told than just the natural comforts that we enjoy in this life and hopefully, if we are famous, we can get our name in the Who's Who's Book of History, and maybe, maybe, we will be remembered in the future. Other than that, you just pass away, 
and you're out of existence and who remembers who you are as Solomon has mentioned here in chapter 1 you live a few days you grow old and infirm you die then you disappear from the face of the earth it's sort of a very pessimistic way to look at life isn't it this is it this is all there is to life there's no purpose to life we're just an accident of nature a mere cog in the evolutionary wheel to move it forward to the next generation see the humanist you're just a result of the big bang big explosion there's not a personal God to them no creator who's brought you into existence and has a purpose for you in this life When you die, it's all over. There's no heaven or hell for the humanist. And while you live, what is there in life? Well, high unemployment, heavy taxes, rising costs, personal conflict, and human suffering. No wonder the suicide rate is high in our society. If this is all there is, is this the way we're going to approach life? What a terrible way that would be to live and have that be our focus. There's no rhyme, no reason, no purpose to your life. I suppose if you turned the secular natural man loose in the Word of God, if he could peruse the Scriptures, he probably would settle with the book of Ecclesiastes as one that he could grab a hold of and understand to some extent. As surely as if you take your children to Walmart and let them loose, they're going to end up in the toy department. It seems like the same thing would happen if you let men loose in scripture this 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 book appeals to them it appeals to them because it's down to earth they can relate to it the writer here questions even ridicules the status quo in life he talks about life and all aspects of it. And he appeals to the person who may be a cynic. But he does this for a key purpose. Because he's going to lead you step by step to the right conclusion. It's a book that really prepares you for the gospel. Even though in and of itself it actually doesn't give us the specifics of the gospel I think it is what makes you look hard at life and realize there's got to be more to it there's got to be something 
that man can find in this life that will be, re, you know, redeem him. We live in a dead end society, but this is a powerful message to such a society. Now, the writer of the book, I think, is important to you. So when we look at this, and you read verse 1, we read here, the words of the preacher of the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now, oddly enough, and I don't know why this is, there are some who question who the author of the book is. To me, it's not rocket science. The opening verses here of Ecclesiastes lead us to think of one man who was the son of David, and that's Solomon. He's the son of David. He's the king in Jerusalem. He's the only son of David that sat on the whole throne of Israel that's mentioned here in verse 12. He was king over Israel in Jerusalem. Because after him, recall, there was a divided kingdom, and there was the kingdom of the north and the south, the kingdom of Israel in the north, the kingdom of Judah in the south. Besides, what is the writer doing in this book? Well, he tells us in verse 13 that he's going to pursue by wisdom the knowledge of this life. What's this all about? What's man's purpose in life? When you think about the magnificence and the luxury that we're going to talk about in chapter 2 and the wealth that this man had to pursue a lot of the different areas, you know, whether he's building or he's putting in uh, big gardens or whatever he's doing, he's, he seems to have enough money to get servants and get whatever he wants and do whatever he wants. So it had to be a time of great prosperity and someone who had prosperity. Some of the sayings of this book are also found in the book of Proverbs. One example of that is Ecclesiastes 1.8. You found the, the, this kind of phraseology in Proverbs 27.20. So I think it's important, as we'll talk about in a moment, why Solomon wrote this book. I think it's important to know that he did but let's just start with that idea that he is the writer of the book. Solomon probably wrote Proverbs in the prime of his life. But Ecclesiastes, if we look at it carefully and read it through, we get the impression he wrote it toward the end of his life, after he's experienced so much. Reading through the book, you find a man here examining all of life, weighing what he has accomplished, where he failed, what he should have done, and who is going to inherit all that he has accomplished and all the possessions he has when he dies. He talks about the honor, the pleasure, the wealth, the wisdom he enjoyed. But he also speaks about his sin that he fell into and where he had done wrong. He has a unique description in chapter 12, verses 1 to 6, about old age. 
the body breaking down, falling apart. Maybe you already began to experience some of those bodily things that happen. I've talked to Rain about the problem with getting old is you, you break down faster than you can repair it. So here's a man who, in a sense, has done it all. He's tried everything. And yet, he tells us, and he teaches us here, that all is vanity. Verse 2. That's what I found. Now he found this, as we shall see, because God caught him this. Was, God was teaching him in this life. Here is a man who's tried it all, he's tested all that life has to offer, and he gives you his personal insight with regard to it. But I want you to notice how he states this in chapter 12, in verses 10 and 11. calls himself the preacher here. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words, and that which was written was that and that which was written was upright. Even words of truth, the words of the wise are as goads, and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given by one shepherd. The one shepherd, of course, is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I sought to know what to say, but I was given by God what to say. So, there's a sense in which he tells us, I think, about the inspiration of his book. It's not just his personal experience. It's personal experience that has been illuminated by God so that he knows the truth of what he's experienced. Now, it's Solomon that wrote this. I suggest to you it's an aged Solomon that wrote this. And the third thing I suggest to you, it's a repentant Solomon who has wrote this. Now, if you would, look with me at 1 Kings chapter 11. First Kings chapter 11, 1 to 13. We read here, but Solomon loved many strange women, foreign women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians and Hittites of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel ye shall not go into them neither shall they come in unto you for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods Solomon clave unto these in love and he had seven hundred wives princesses and three hundred concubines and his wives turned away 
his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord, as David his father. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, for the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives and burn incense and sacrificed unto their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel which had appeared unto him twice. And he had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, Forasmuch as this is done of thee, thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee and give it to thy servant. Notwithstanding in thy days, I will not do it for David thy father's sake, but I will rend it out of the hand of thy son. Howbeit, I will not rend away all the kingdom, but will give one tribe to thy son David, for David, for my servant's sake. For David, uh, and for Jerusalem's sake. Let me read that again. But will give one tribe to thy son for David, my servant's sake and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. Now, 1 Kings 11 relates to us the great sin and downfall of Solomon. After God had blessed him, appeared to him twice, spoke to him directly through a dream, but he still spoke to him. We find here that he married many foreign women, violating the law of God. And these wives were not followers of Jehovah God, but they clung to their foreign gods and they turned the heart of Solomon away from the Lord God so that he too was sacrificing to these gods and participating in worship. Now, it wasn't just that Solomon violated this idea of not multiplying wives. Uh, they took one or two extra wives and took foreign wives. 700 wives and 300 concubines seems like he's pretty flagrant about this matter. Solomon's love for these women placed him now in a backslidden condition. He hath he built the high places, the center of war, the centers of worship for the various gods of his wives. And God's judgment fell. And he rose we raised up uh, against him adversaries, political ones, Hadad the Edomite and Rezon of Damascus were two of the ones that God raised up to oppose him. 
And God eventually, as he said here, is going to split the kingdom and take a good portion of it away from him. The question is, is this the end of Solomon's story? Is this it? Is there nothing else said about Solomon? Is there no record of repentance? Doesn't he turn back to the Lord? Notice that carefully the final words about Solomon in this chapter, in 1 Kings chapter 11. I want you to look with me at verses 41 to 43. And the rest of the acts of Solomon and all that he did in his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the acts of Solomon? And the time that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over Israel was 40 years. Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David his father. And Rehoboam the son, his, his son reigned in his stead. I want you to notice how it's stated here in this passage. In verse 41, the rest of the acts of Solomon and all that he did. The book of Proverbs are the sayings of Solomon, not his acts. Where is this book that has the acts of Solomon in? I suggest to you, and I think this is Clearly the point is the book of Ecclesiastes. That's what it is. And this is important because it relates to us what happened after Solomon's great sin. He pursues all these other areas of life, including you know, all these wives and so forth. What book provides us an understanding of the wisdom of his last days. I suggest you this Ecclesiastes. If it's not the book, where is it? The title of the book, Ecclesiastes, means the preacher. This is why he calls himself the preacher, because he's one who gathers souls around him and tells them the truth of God. Tells them the truth of God. That's what he's doing here. He wants others to avoid the pitfalls into which he fell, so he speaks of his backsliding, his foolishness, his pursuit of everything else in life and its failure. And then, at the end of the book, he tells us what's important. And he tells us it's your relationship with God that's important. Solomon's name, you recall that he was given Jedediah as a name, which means beloved of the Lord. That was his other name. And someone who is beloved of the Lord is not someone that God gives up on. It's not someone God casts aside. It's someone who God works with and brings them to repentance. And I suggest to you the book of Ecclesiastes is sort of uh, a, 
telling us about his repentance, telling us about how he came to the right conclusion in the end, how he was brought back to the Lord, his God. There must be repentance. This is God's way with his children to bring them to repentance. So the writer of the book is Solomon, aged and repentant. And I think it's important for us to know who it is that wrote this book. Now the theme of the book is relevant to your day and age. How do you find fulfillment in life? Solomon wishes to find out what life is all about. How do you find happiness? Like most people, he thinks that happiness is in a multitude of things, his work, his, early, his earthly pleasures, his sexual relations, his um, entertainment, his knowledge, his wealth, sort of the common pursuits of the natural man in this life. However, he tells us that he found happiness quite elusive and that these things did not provide happiness for us. So what does he tell us in verse 2 here of chapter 1? That all these things that he pursued, they're all vanity. They're all vanity. Now he doesn't cite to us the law of God here. He doesn't refer to any of the lives of the saints in this passage, this book. His knowledge about happiness is geared to his personal experience and then God's dealings with him to give him illumination about those personal experiences. And he says to you, okay, try seeking fulfillment through your work. Go ahead. Be a workaholic. But see what I found. All my labor, all my accomplishments didn't make me happy. Oh, you think wealth will make you happy? Well, go ahead and seek it. You know, be consumed with making your fortune, run your business, take care of all your investments, pile up your money in the bank. But I'll tell you what I found. Money doesn't buy happiness. You think that sexual satisfaction is where it's at. That you like to party and have a good time. And maybe you want to have a girlfriend every week. And maybe you think you have to go through five or six women or men before you find the right one to marry and so forth. Go ahead. But I know you can't find happiness there. I had 700 wives and 300 concubines, and I didn't find it. Can you top that? You think wisdom and knowledge is the key to happiness. Oh, you can pursue an education. You can study philosophy. Guess what? I've done that too. You know what I found? You're spinning your wheels. Great wisdom didn't make me happy in and of itself. 
Now, when we come to Ecclesiastes, a lot of people have trouble with the book is because they don't understand his approach. You just can't grab a verse out of this book and just throw it out there and use it. You sort of have to make sure it's in context when you uh, use a verse from this passage. But his, his point is this. Go ahead, repeat what I've done, and you're going to find the same thing I found. You want to go through the, the winding maze that I went through? Go ahead. Maybe you won't have the time or the energy that I had. But I'm telling you, it's all going to end the same way. It's all vanity. It's all vexation of the Spirit. So what is this book doing then? It's telling you where to find fulfillment. And it's telling you to seek God. Look at chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes and verse 11. As I read it before, the words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters of the assemblies which are given from one shepherd. And when he gets to verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment and every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Years ago, there was a resident physician by the name of Bob who went to work in a large city hospital and he entered into the world of suffering, heartache, and death. He grew up in a house that was well-to-do and so he really was sheltered, if you would, from a lot of the hardships of life. And up to this point, he lived a very comfortable life. None of his close relatives or friends had died, so he succeeded in pushing all these things out of his mind that were dark and depressing. In medical school, he accepted the hypothesis that everything is the result of evolution. And there's really no meaning to life. Life is just the product of an evolutionary process. But now he was confronted with all this suffering and he saw firsthand what people were going through and facing death and dying as this resident physician. And he said that death stared him in the face every single day. He had to deal with terminal Ill patients. And he could see the sacrificial love of the family and how they tried to care for the person and the person dies and what heartache they went through and everything else. And he began to have his doubts about the evolutionary process. And that death means extinction of being and that there's nothing else beyond the grave. His relentless drive for success in his field led to emptiness 
and his heart and life. Eventually, he began to attend church, and it happened to be a gospel preaching church in which God was pleased to reach out and convert him and save his soul. Now I tell you this because this type of story could be repeated over and over again. There's a sense in which people walk sort of in the same steps as Solomon. You know, they follow the steps and find out all his vanity in life. There's got to be more to it than that. And the bottom line is you need, you need to know the Lord. You need to seek fellowship with God. So, in a way, this book teaches you to patiently think through what the natural man thinks. Get a good handle on what he is thinking. And it points you to God. He talks about the rat race under the sun. Verse 3, he talks about everything under the sun. This is a phrase he uses constantly. Uh, Russell read it in chapter 8 as well. And there's another place here in chapter 1 he mentions under the sun. Everything's under the sun. It's the rat race, going through all the things of life. Always meaningless. Always chasing after the wind. Now if you're depressed, and you're down, and disparaging, uh, discouraged, you may come to appreciate what he says. And come to realize that what he's doing is he's pushing you to God. He's pushing you there. This is exactly what our world needs to hear today. It's the message that is needed. Through the various pursuits that Solomon mentions, man seeks fulfillment, not realizing these are dead-end streets. You're going to come to the same conclusion Solomon did. Happiness is only found in knowing the Lord. I close tonight by saying this. People are often confused, depressed, discouraged, frustrated. We can look at this and say, well, it's a bad thing that man is left in this state. Well, maybe it is, but maybe it's a good thing too. Maybe man needs to be brought to this state so that he will be brought to seek after God and to seek for fulfillment somewhere else. And now they're ready for Ecclesiastes in the message of this book. As a believer, maybe you have lost perspective of what's important in this life. Maybe the things of this world have caught your attention and drawn you away from the Lord to some extent. Again, this book is for you too. Because Solomon is saying, I was guilty of this. God had to bring me back. There's no fulfillment, no satisfaction in these things. And we brought, hopefully we'll be brought to repentance and confess our sin with regard to these things. So I hope this book, as we look at it in more detail in the weeks ahead, will be a benefit to us. And again, it's not an easy book, but I hope it will be a beneficial book Considering our own day and age, I think it's one that would be good for us to have a good handle on, that we may talk to those around us 
uh, as they pursue the empty things of life and find them all vanity. Let's close with a prayer.